in Jesus' name. Jesus' passion was not only the three hours that he spent hanging on the cross. He bore a great deal of agony before that as well as he was attacked verbally, physically, and spiritually. Today we meditate on Jesus' bonds and stripes and wretchedness. As you see, every cord tied on him, every bruise on his back, every humiliation that brings him low, know that Jesus takes these for you and seek to uncover why Jesus trades away his glory. The first wound that comes to Jesus before any bruising is this, that just a few verses prior, the evangelist tells us, then the disciples all left him and fled. So now he's surrounded by enemies. And Peter, one of his closest friends, is far away where he will soon deny that he has any knowledge of Jesus whatsoever. Jesus is alone. He's alone because only Jesus can pay this price. He's alone because all others are sinners and opposed to him and opposed to God and opposed to life and light and salvation. He is alone because he would save all others. A mock trial follows. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for testimony against Jesus in order to put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their testimonies did not agree. It might seem fortunate at first that the false witnesses are self-contradictory. But this is a battle between lies and truth at its core. Jesus had told many of the Jewish people during his ministry, you belong to your father the devil, and you want to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and did not remain standing in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he lies, he speaks from what is his because he is a liar and the father of lying. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Who of you can convict me of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God listens to what God says. The reason you do not listen is that you do not belong to God. So he's battered by lies because Jesus is the truth. He's battered by lies because each of us, each human being, desires to create our own truth against him. He is battered by lies because Jesus was doing battle with the father of lies, our captor and our slave master, in order to free us. Against the accusations, even the true ones, which themselves were self-contradictory, Jesus was silent and did not answer anything. And he did this to fulfill God's word through the prophet Isaiah. Like a lamb, he was led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that is silent in front of its shearers, he did not open his mouth. But the chief priest asked him, point blank, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed one? Matthew tells us that at this point, the high priest said, I place you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the son of God. So he was forced to speak. Because men's words were not strong enough to defeat him. He had to defeat himself. He was forced to speak because Jesus would lay down his own life as he said, I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down 
on my own. He was forced to speak because he is the word made flesh, and God chose this time to speak, giving himself into condemnation and giving salvation and comfort to you. And this is what he said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Then came the nail in his coffin, so to speak, because that was the condemning evidence that the council needed. The high priest tore his robes and said, Why do we need any more witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? It's ironic, isn't it, that the Son of God is accused of blasphemy. Our catechism and explanation defines blasphemy as deliberate mockery, scorn, and disrespect, especially directed against God. So God himself ought to be the one who defines what is disrespectful toward himself. And in fact, we see that it's the high priest, the soldiers, the council who are the ones bringing mockery, scorn, and disrespect against the Son of God. But Jesus bore this sin for them, too. He's accused of blasphemy because man had made himself God. And so Jesus' blasphemy consisted in revealing God's truth against man's idols. He was accused of blasphemy because man was guilty of blasphemy and he was taking man's sin. He was accused of blasphemy because the punishment for blasphemy is hell, and God would suffer hell for you. Page 108 in our hymnary contains the office of prime, a service for early morning. An old traditional prayer for that office meditates on this time that Jesus spent in this pain, saying, O everlasting Jesus, who in the early morning gave yourself to be reviled and scoffed at by your enemies, visit us, we pray you, at this hour with your grace and mercy so that throughout the day we may find peace and joy in all that ministers to your praise and glory. Contemplate this thought then, that as Jesus gave himself in those hours to abuse, so that we would receive grace, mercy, and peace, and joy. So he also gives himself to you now in his word, so that you would receive grace, mercy, peace, and joy, and so that your life now results in praise to him instead of this mockery. For you, Jesus bore all this. He humbled himself to be put into the hands of his enemies. And for you now, Jesus allows himself to be put into your hands, gripped and bruised in his word. Every time his pages receive a blow from your fingers, he receives those strikes for you, and he gives you his grace and his glory. In one verse in this text, we see all the glory of Jesus stripped away, torn apart, thrown into the mud and trampled, trampled underfoot. Then some began to spit on him. They covered his face and struck him with their fists, saying, Prophesy! The guards also took him and beat him. In this verse, we see actions that are a cruel echo of some actions Jesus himself had performed some time prior. He took hold of the blind man's hand and led him out of the village. 
When he had spit on his eyes, he placed his hands on him and asked him, Do you see anything? The man looked up and said, I see people. To me, they look like trees walking. Then Jesus placed his hands on his eyes again. The man opened his eyes and his sight was restored. He could see everything clearly. In that miracle, Jesus' spit was the medium for the healing. As God himself was performing the act of creation again, recreating this man's eyes and sight. His hands in this miracle were not used to harm, but to heal. And his words were not used to mock, but to lift up. But the spit of the chief priests, the elders, and the experts in the law was a rejection of Jesus. They marked him with their spit as something that they thought of as disgusting, worthless, ugly, and repulsive. The water from their mouths made him despicable. For the blind man, Jesus' spit made him whole again. His infirmity had separated him from people, made him worthless in the eyes of many, so that he had to sit in the dirt and beg. But Jesus' spit brought him back into a prosperous relationship with the people around him. The water from his mouth made that man beautiful. The water of your baptism does similarly for you. By it, Jesus cleansed you and healed you so that he could present you to himself as a glorious church, having no stain or wrinkle or any such thing. So Jesus was despised so that you would be honored. The council covered Jesus' face to blind him. Of course, the ironic thing is he was God, and everything is uncovered and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we will give an account. So it made no difference whatsoever that they covered his eyes, except that he humbled himself. He limited himself in love to accomplish his purpose. Similarly, Jesus covered the blind man's eyes in his miracle, and similarly, that action would make no difference. Cover the eyes of a blind man, it changes nothing. But the touch of Jesus was filled with his gracious power. He humbled himself to put his glory into the dirt to give sight to the blind. His touch gives you that illumination as well. As we pray in the psalm, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So Jesus is limited so that you would be exalted for eternal life. The council struck Jesus' blindfolded face and challenged him to prophesy. They taunted him. They tried by brute force to overcome this Jesus that they couldn't defeat. They made themselves higher than him. Jesus challenged the blind man to see. Do you see anything? One can expect that perhaps some of the children in the village mocked that blind man in a similar way. Do you see anything? But Jesus said these words without malice. By the words and hands of Jesus, he didn't make himself higher than the blind man, but he stooped lower to serve him. Jesus told his disciples, I am among you as the one who serves. And he says the same to you. Through the hands of the pastor and the words of the absolution, he comes to you, not to lord it over you, but to serve you, to give you his blessing and grace and forgiveness. And finally, the council handed Jesus over to the guards. And they took him and beat him, and one can assume that that beating was harder and more harsh than that the council had done. 
They wanted to break his body and his spirit. They wanted him humiliated, defeated, and made into a spectacle. The one who had created those hands, the one who had formed their bodies with his own hands, was being struck by their hands. He humbled himself into that state. He had treated the blind man with kindness. After putting his own hands on him once, and beginning that work of his illumination so that he saw people who looked to him like trees walking, Jesus placed his hands on his eyes again. The man opened his eyes, and his sight was restored. He could see everything clearly. Already now, you and I have died to sin in baptism and by faith. And through the word, our eyes are illuminated. But as Paul says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So our sacraments are a foretaste of the gifts that we receive in eternity, in perfection. The services that we attend themselves are a foretaste of that eternal life. This glory comes to us through death and pain. Jesus' pain before the council was a foretaste of the greater agony that he would suffer on the cross. And that was the pain through which he won our redemption. Our pain is the experience of following Jesus through the cross to the resurrection. Not that we earn our redemption by our pain. No, Jesus won that already. By his suffering and death, he has turned our death into a restful sleep. And he has turned our pain into the place of his grace. Whatever pains we might feel, isn't Jesus with us in them? Are we alone? Jesus was abandoned even by his father but he is with you. Are we surrounded by lies? Jesus was defamed and slandered, but he is the truth who comes to give you his life. Are we trapped in our own words or attacked emotionally, spiritually, or physically? Jesus suffered in all of these ways for you, but now he is your support in all of these attacks and pains. The one who has given you his promise that in him you will have eternal life. Our meditation, therefore, Jesus was mocked by man, wounded by man, killed by man, even as he underwent all of this for man's salvation. Recall how hours later, while he died on the cross, Jesus would say, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. If Jesus gave that forgiveness to the hands that struck him, the tongues that slandered and blasphemed him, you know he has forgiveness also for you. That's why he suffered and died for you. Amen. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, forevermore. Amen.